The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour. The Power of Water is Earth's human mission. We've been learning lately on the show by having some very exciting guests about what's going on on the planet Earth and then step outside of the planet Earth and look back from the universe, the solar system, at the planet Earth. The planet Earth has water. And without water, there would be no life. The show is about my concern as your hostess. What would be life? What would life be without water? I think you've taken it for granted, and I have taken it for granted most of my life. W-A-T-E-R, water. Now, when you pass the street and you're walking along and it says water on, the, in, on top of a, a, a water seal, uh, like a water vein, water, you're coming along, beware of water. You're coming along, water, water, water. But you never stop to think. The power of water is your life, and it's the eternity of the planet Earth. Earth has the water. The other side of this education that we're learning from our unbelievable guests, we have had guests that have been teaching us more than I could ever possibly imagine. We had recently Alistair Morrison coming to us from Stockholm, Sweden. Alistair was in Sweden talking about the World Water Week that's coming up, September 5th and 11th, this coming week. On September 5th to the 11th in Stockholm, Sweden, is a traditional worldwide water week. Alistair was telling us about why the concerns of water and why this started many years ago in Sweden to be a concern for the world to take it serious. We've had Philippe Castot on teaching us about the oceans, about what his grandfather, father, families for generations have been concerned about water. We've had Dr. Kurt Worthrich, who's got a Nobel Prize in chemistry, but his concern was life in the molecule from Switzerland. We've had interviews from all over the world, and from Kenya, Africa, from Holland. Stephen Solomon, the author of the book Water. We could go, United Nations involved, NASA involved. We've had the most exciting guests, but one of the most exciting guests that I've had on to teach a lot was Dr. Chuck Kennicutt, professor of oceanography from Texas A&M recently. We learned about this planet Earth, and I want you to look up that show with Dr. Chuck 
Mayvon Honeycutt, Ph.D. Professor, professor of Oceanography from A&M in Texas. I want you to know that this show is here to teach what you need to learn about the life-threatening water wars, the global water and health crisis, and it is a crisis because dehydration is the body and the soil and the air, interviews with global research leaders that what I have just said are making this show possible, news reporting and education has been outrageous, dehydration of diseases in the land, water access and sanitation, water, women, and children. The women carrying the water should be, are the heroes. Understanding the precious life-giving water on our beautiful planet is this show. Without the water, there is no life. And did you know that in your mother's womb, you came from water, and you entered in the air you breathe at that second dehydration begins. No two eyes are alike. No two complexions on the skin are alike. No two fingerprints are alike. Let's learn more about what we can do as an audience to save lives, and that's what this show is all about. Come and listen. Let's save a life. And if we save lives, there will be an Earth's mission. We'll never say goodbye because we'll be leaving behind immortality of life. But the water has to be the biggest environmental concern there is, the only environmental concern there is. Today we have Pam Lott, who's from Ashland, Oregon. She has a bachelor and master's degrees in landscape architecture from the University of Oregon. She's going to teach us about rain harvesting and help people reduce their water usage through irrigated design and strategies. I think there's more to learn there because I've done a lot of study there myself. Then also our second guest is Dan Berkland, who's from Grants Pass, Oregon. He is the owner of a, of a, a company called Horizon Village where people come to retire. And we're going to learn a little bit about the migrant of people and retirement around the world. And I'm going to bring up some of the things I've been learning with Dan on people who migrate in their retirement. You'll notice they migrate for climate and they migrate to the water. And we'll learn more about what they're going to be needing. And then he wanted to bring up some perspectives on life in the Philippines and his, exam- his uh, experiences there. But first, we're going to listen to our sponsor from Biologic Aqua Research Center, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. At the surface of your eye is 99% water. When that eyelid is open, you have to have that cushion of 99% water to be able to have a healthy eyesight. Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the method of application with just a mist to give you that supplement that you've never had before. It is the only product like it, and it is just with an all-natural mist. Nature's Tears Eye Mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Pam Mott. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. 
Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Pam, are you with us? I sure am, Sharon. Well, thank you for joining us today, and I'm very fascinated. Um, you graduated from the University of Oregon in... Um, landscaping design, but also, what, now am I correct in landscaping design, or are you uh, architecture, or did you graduate more in the topic of rainwater and environmental concerns of uh, horticulture? Uh, well, actually, my background is in landscape design, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, traveled into the world of sustainable design and then have become accredited as a rainwater harvesting professional. Okay. Now explain to our audience uh, what a rainwater professional is. Okay. Uh, basically, I have the, uh, the background and training in how to, co- to capture, collect, and store rainwater and put it to beneficial use on a landscape or in a building. So let's say a lot of our listeners are out there wanting to get more environmentally involved and go into education and, let's say, entrepreneurship uh, ideas with uh, environment, the environment, how, what did you have to do to learn how to, for you to be able to be accredited to do that? Uh, well, there's a, um, an accredited, there's an, the professional organization that I belong to is the American Rainwater Catchment Systems Association, and they offer an accreditation course. Uh, so I involved uh, training um, in workshops over a course of several days and has now actually been expanded to um, three uh, different levels of training um, because the interest is so great and mm-hmm. and in order to meet the demand and also to improve on the training um, as, as the need um, increases. And so mm-hmm. um, basically the um, workshops are the professional accreditation and then we take an exam at the end of that and uh, if you pass that exam, you become an accredited rainwater professional. Okay. Now, I'm going to ask, I always ask our guests, I don't care if you, if, if it's a Nobel Prize winner, somebody with NASA, United Nations, wherever in the world they're at, I always ask our guests before we begin our educational class, Pam, why did you decide to get involved in what you do today? Good question. <laughs> um, well, I've always had an interest in um, sustainability and living um on our planet with wise use of resources. And as my design practice moved towards that, um, um, I began, well, not began, I always had an awareness of how to, how can I use, design landscapes that use water better, how, how they use it more efficiently and more wisely. And so the other thing that happened to me, I would say, that really pushed me in that direction is when I moved to Southern Oregon because the climate in Southern Oregon is um, a little bit 
unusual for compared to where I grew up, which was on the East Coast. And, and that has to do with the fact that we can go for three months without any rain in, in the southern Oregon um, Rogue Valley. So um, I really became concerned about how to integrate design uh, in terms of um, collecting and putting uh, water to a better use and preserving it for um, our essential uses, but not to impact and also to um, have an impact on a positive quality of life as well. Of course, right. Yeah. Now, on the East Coast, where did you grow up at? Uh, uh, Philadelphia area, and then I moved in New Jersey predominantly. Okay. Um, now, in, uh, when you came to Southern Oregon, uh, but you had gone to University of Oregon? Yes. Okay. And in University of Oregon, what was the classes you took that may have been an influence in that, or was it just the fact that once you got involved in actually touching the soil and getting involved in landscape design architecture that you noticed that the soil at the service definitely had to have um, a technology, a science, to be able to not use as much water because sometimes we forget, Pam. Right. And I studied a little bit of this. <laughs> That's is right. The yeah. fact that sometimes you can drench the soil too much with your, with your uh, uh, landscaping. In other words, you don't need as much as you really think you do. That's correct. And now, we humans are very uh, overbearing. Um, we want to do, we think more is better than less. Mm -hmm. So, okay, we're going to dive in now. Um, in the world of rain harvesting, I'm a, I believe in it, by the way. I've studied it way back in time. Uh -huh. Thousands of years ago, they believed in, um, there were certain things they did with instinct differently than we do mm -hmm. um, because of survival. Uh, way back in time, in parts of our world, sand began. And the, when that sand began, they didn't know what to do because not every, uh, the territory wasn't all sand, but parts of it were sand. And they were worried, so they migrated where the water was. Mm -hmm. And they started learning more in, the difference in instinct of survival than we are today. I'm a believer, and maybe you can help me with this d discussion that today what happened in the last, let's say, 100 years, 50 years, 20 years, 10 years, we lost sight of what the environment really is. We're confused. Uh-huh. Well, you know, Sharon, I think the, the really um, the point that you were making earlier in the show when you, in the introduction was really, um, I was really glad to hear you saying this, and that has to do with without water, there's no life. And what we have forgotten to do, I think, is to c connect the dots. And one of the ways that um, we have overlooked, water is a renewable resource. However, it's renewable seasonally. And we have the, an infinite, we have a supply that we are really taxing and is, it's changing the ecology as well as our relationship to water. And so um, the way that we look at water needs to change from the standpoint of how, um, how we use it and, and use the right types of water for the right types of uses. Um, now let's back up for a second. Pardon me? Let's back for a moment oh, sure. in our class because I kind of follow for the uh, thinking because uh, I'm a listener too. And uh -huh. all of a sudden we're listening and, and we're thinking about the ecology, the environmental concerns that all of a sudden the world began to notice, individuals like yourself began to notice because you're touching the soil. Mm -hmm. That and you're t you're seeing the trunk of that tree. You're seeing those leaves develop. You're seeing the branches. You're seeing the color of the flowers. You're seeing 
all of these things happening with the, the, the blade of grass. And you're noticing that that wouldn't be happening if we weren't concerned, take a priority of water. Um, and without a, human life, human life is the Earth's mission to make sure that Earth has the water for everlasting. So back to the, the concerns is when people stop to think about how important this is, I'm saying, I believe, Pat, Pam, that the word environment became confusing to the most intelligent people possibly, <laughs> to the children of the world. Yes. It, 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 what is the environment? And you could have a room full of people of all backgrounds of life and say, what, do you, what, is the, what does the word environment mean to you? Mm-hmm. And you know what the first thing they're going to say? It's the air. It's the pollution of the environment. I'd say, come on, after it's all over, it's the water. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be the water. Now, when you've been studying and your group about the value of, re- of recycling wa- the rain that came down, now Earth did that from the beginning. Can we er- learn how Earth did it? Earth stored the water. Earth, the water came to the surface, and Earth has the water. Now, 97% is ocean, 3% is fresh, 1% is usable. But yet the rains are coming down, and it's the water on the earth that encourages the rains to continue to come down. That's correct, yes. You know, uh, we had a very fascinating guest on here not long ago uh, from Texas A&M, an oceanographer, one of the best shows I think I'm to the world I, I could have possibly, I could have learned, and he mentioned too that the clouds over the uh, over the uh, the oceans influence and the clouds and all these waters on the earth influence the atmosphere and our solar system. Now, Pam, you stop and think. Here on Earth, you've got a goal, and on your your goal is the water. But can you imagine stepping away from Earth and looking at the Earth out in the solar system? How influential our Earth is to the whole solar system. Well, yes, because we have water. <laughs> well, we have the water. Yes. We have the water. And what would that water's influence be with or without the water of the, with the solar system? Mm-hmm. We're going to take a moment with our uh, sponsor, Pam, and you can come back and maybe you can help me answer that, and we can learn how to uh, harvest our water uh, from the skies. Okay. We'll be right back, Pam. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist. The natural method of moisturizing the eye without an eye drop. I'll listen to our sponsor and we'll be right back with Pam Lott. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Pam, uh, I wanted to ask you now, um, teach us how we can harvest from the sky the water. Sure. Um, basically, there's uh, rainwater harvesting is comprised, there's two different approaches, active rainwater harvesting and passive rainwater harvesting. And active rainwater harvesting is, is what people typically think about when you think of a cistern where you collect and store the water for, for future use. Uh, passive solar, uh, passive um, rainwater harvesting has to do with how you um, treat the landscape in terms of grading um, and collecting and storing the water, and you're storing the water in the soil. The soil is actually one of your best containers for water, um, and so soil preparation is really important when you're looking at overall um, idea of saving and storing water. Uh, you can store up to three times as much water just in soil that has really good organic material in it, and um, and it is much more readily available to plants. Um, uh, in so you're state. talking that there, I, we've had a very special guest on one time. His family have owned back in uh, South Dakota mm-hmm. uh, four-generation organic farming mm-hmm. with only four inches of rain a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, they learned how to take, uh, they had a lot of cattle, and they would take all of the um, manure and hay yes. that's stored in the, with the uh, manure and the hay, and they would take that out and turn the soil over periodically to create um, an absorption from the rain. Mm-hmm. And I called that a heat. Uh, they created a, a temperature change in the soil to do that. Mm-hmm. You couldn't take and do that. You couldn't do that without a change of the temperature. In other words, you cannot just, you have to change, you have to turn that soil over to be able to do that. Now, um, teach us, like let's say a person has a lawn um, and, uh, or a, an area of a garden or even larger uh, pastures with hay. Uh, what would you suggest they could do to save, uh, to be able to store the water in those types of services? Well, in any any landscape situation, there, there's two things we're looking at in terms of design. And one is is that we're trying to collect and use the water, uh, put it to use as close as possible to where it falls. So you're not worrying about transporting, treating it, transporting it, and sending it somewhere because energy is involved in that. So, so first off, any planting that you're doing, you do want to make sure that you create a, a, a organically rich uh, soil and planting medium. The second thing is, is in terms of how you would grade that land that is treating, that is um, growing the plants or gro- growing the vegetation. And what we found in dry land gardening techniques, and this isn't um, different regions uh, require different applications, but generally in arid areas and um, um, more um, regions that have less water, there's dry land gardening techniques which help to collect and store the water in the soil. And that has to do with instead of Typically what we often see are planting on berms, and what that does is the water goes in onto the berm and it runs off to the sides, and what you typically see is most of your growth, which usually is in the form of weeds or something that's undesirable, uh, it occurs around the edges or the outside, and we have to continue to irrigate because the water has run off. And in dry land gardening techniques, or what we would call passive rainwater harvesting, um, we tend to go towards basin planting. 
So the water will collect in a depression, and then it will infiltrate. And that's, an op- that's a really important word, the infiltration, because what we're trying to do is get that water to go into the soil and remain there to be available to the plants. Mm-hmm. So um, it, one, um, there are ways to create berms and swales so that you, on a slope, for example, you slow water down. So the, the um, little mantra we use is um, slow it, spread it, sink it. And so if you have a slope, you want to put, uh, you can do trenches or swales or um, I'm trying to think of different words that people would know, that, but they create depressions in the landscape where the water is collected and stopped, um, stopped and collected and then infiltrated into the ground and remains available. It is a concept that's been used in, in developing, developing countries all over the world where they need to, they farm water. They draw that water out of the earth, what you were talking about earlier, where the earth is a storehouse of the water. That's how water gets into our surface streams and ponds and lakes and down to the ocean eventually. It comes out of the earth um, and off of the surface of the land. So that is really important to get that water what in. What kind of, uh, you know, the first, what I asked you were talking, mm-hmm. and I'm learning a lot here, um, and I know the audience is, uh, yeah, those berms are very architecturally attractively, uh, you know. But first of all, before I ask my question, I was going to ask, though, so I came to mind. When you, there a lot of landscape artists are using um, those kinds of fabrics um, that are putting over the soil. What is that called? Are you talking about a weed barrier? Yeah, the weed barrier. Uh-huh. What is the fabric made out of? Uh, it depends on the type of. Sometimes it's permeable, where the, it's like a geotextile fabric, uh, and where water can penetrate. A, a lot of times, though, if it's exclusively for keeping weeds out totally, it can be a plastic material. Now, is that is that a healthy way to preserve water? Um, uh, yes and no. <laughs> uh, what, what you have is, um, and I would say ultimately no, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to let water infiltrate into the soil and be held in the soil. And what happens okay. is, is you get a very thin layer of um, why I said yes, but kind of tongue-in-cheek there, is that what happens mm-hmm. is, is right where the, the, the material meets the surface, you get mm-hmm. a lot of activity and maybe even some moisture held, but then over time no more moisture has come. What it uses less water or more water having a material like that on the surface? Well, you're basically putting water onto a, a material that sending it away from where you need it. So you think you'd be losing, using more water? Yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and again, it depends on what the type of fabric is and how it's being um, put into use. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, um, we're, what we're looking at when we, um, one of the best techniques for conserving water is using mulch. And mm-hmm. mulch is what helps keep water in the soil, but also allows water to penetrate the soil. Changes the heat of the heat barrier. Changes the heat, yeah. Can, uh, can prevent that from happening. Changes the might, temperature. Yeah. Now, the other thing that comes to my mind uh, that I know a lot of people are thinking about, what is the better way to water your uh, the um, plants. Your plants? Uh, yeah. Plants. Is it uh, <laughs> a rain? Um, pardon me. Is it a, a sprinkler system of a mist, or is it a sprinkler system that's a little heavier, heavier than a mist? Well, actually, I'd go back a step further, Sharon, and, and what is the most efficient way to water your plants is by hand with a hose that sprinkles the water. Because mm-hmm. what that does is it puts you in touch exactly with how much water is needed. It puts you in touch with your plants, and you see what's going on, and you can adjust. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, we have a culture that has come to rely on automated systems, 
And fortunately, we also have uh, te- technologies that are helping to improve that on a daily basis almost in terms of what, how we apply water because we do have so much automation. And so right now, the cutting-edge technologies have to do with um, smart technologies where the um, controllers that are used for sprinklers are um, based, are inputted with information, uh, weather information, that actually will help re- control how much water is applied per ap- um, application of um, uh, when you turn your sprinklers on. Oh, isn't so, that interesting? Tell us yeah. a little bit more about that. Well, there, there you put in data about the soil type. You can put in data about um, how much evapotranspiration is occurring, and the, the sprinklers will adjust based on that information. And there are some that you actually plug the historical data in, and there are others that are actual weather stations which read the, the what's going on every day and mm-hmm. adjust the water application accordingly. Mm-hmm. And then in, regarding your question in terms of applying water, um, what um, there's been many different approaches to um, irrigation, and there are some applications that it depend on the types of plants you're watering and the water requirements. Um, so, in some instances, uh, overall drip irrigation is the most, e- I would say, the most efficient in terms of water usage. However, it has some challenges in. in uh, uniform watering and monitoring of whether the system is um, operating or not. Uh, you can't actually see it all the time, and you, it, it, by the time you see maybe that a head has been clogged or something like that, a plant may be distressed. Right, However, right. Um, you know, it, it's not something you can... Uh, if you can I'm do it, you're right about the hand watering. Um, yeah. <laughs> where I'm at, um, yeah, we have an enormous place here. And... Um, uh-huh. Um, and I'm, I believe in nature to be um, not everything looks charming and, and um, a statement of nature not doesn't look like it's just been given a haircut. <laughs> uh, and uh, so if the weed comes up, uh, my older daughter, Julia, helps me. And a lot of times will say, she'll say, Mother, uh, I'm going to take that weed. It doesn't look too good. And I said, no, 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 it looks great. It's nature coming through it all. And uh, but we do hand water a lot, uh, uh, everything. Um, but w- what I have on mine, and you can tell me whether I'm right or wrong, but I do believe in, and when I'm watering by hand, of uh, t- turning the dial to a little heavier water, and then I turn it over to the mist when I'm all done with each flower bed. In other words, we do the heavier water so it gets into the soil, mm-hmm. and then uh, before I leave that flower er- that area, I turn it on to the mister and give it a mist of absorption uh, to be able to, make it, to almost fake it, like the air is giving it a, um, a rainforest mm-hmm. uh, influence. Uh-huh. So yesterday I did, Pam, we have um, a gazebo area, and behind this gazebo area is um, some trees. We got, um, we've got uh, different, all kinds of different trees. But one in particular is a very tall, large huge, gorgeous Christmas tree, fir tree. Mm-hmm. And I could see there were a lot of cobwebs in it in an area, so I sprayed off those cobwebs and faked it with some mist. And you could just see what was on the stems coming out in the, in the personality of, of the stems of that tree, mm-hmm. loving that mist. Right. Uh, yeah. But again, and we have a lot of bamboo, too, uh, black bamboo and in the area that uh, it, you could almost see the bamboo, bamboo loving the mist. Mm-hmm. That that's well, why I asked you with your background. I do not know a thing about what you know 
about that is um, what would you consider the most water cons- conservation? Would it be the mist, uh, the method of mist rain bur- uh, watering? Uh, let's say you did have an automatic watering system. Would you consider the mist over the other, or do you think the old-fashioned way is a better way? Uh, that's what I was curious about. Right. Well, that's a good question, Sharon, because really actually what you're, ask- you're, you're touching on two different uh, areas. And the, the first one that I would say is having the appropriate plants for the, for the region. Because what you've, you're describing are, um, when we get into, there are requirements of plants that, re, um, in terms of atmospheric moisture and whatnot, and, but there are plants that are su- better suited for our region, for regions that are drier that don't require that because they are, um, and so for an example, they would be the, the kinds of plants that have the, the, um, the more succulent leaves and the hairy leaves, and they, often they're in the gray leaf family, but they, but they are designed to collect and store water in them because they know that through June, July, August, September, they're not going to be getting much of that moisture. Mm-hmm. And so, so basically, so there's two, there's a twofold approach. And one is, is that the best water conservation is using the, the appropriate plants in order so that you're reducing the amount of water that you're using. We only have a second left, but I need our audience to know that you're coming from Ashland, Oregon, where that famous lithia water is located. Yes, that's right. (laughs) I've talked to scientists for years in my water research, and there's scientists from all over the world way back in time, Pan, that came to Ashland, Oregon to study the lithia water. Tell our audience what lithia water is. Well, it's a mineral water that has uh, been... um comes right out of our park, and it has a lot of um, health benefits that um, people have been coming here for years to get the benefits of the health waters. That, in fact, the, the And when you lean over to get the health benefit at the water hydrant at the park, does it have an odor? Yes, it smells like rotten <laughs> eggs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but people came and took away jugs forever. Yes, and it's, it's actually, um, and it's very fizzy. It's very uh, fizzy. It's, it's a yeah. very interesting experience. But we have, um, I think it's like six fountains on our plaza that you, it, that you uh-huh. can walk right up to and take a drink out of it, and it's uh, a good way to get a dose of minerals and connect back to that. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. I learned a lot, and right. I'm sure the audience learned a lot. And where would they go to find more about uh, your harvesting of rainwater? Uh, well, um, www.valleyrainharvesting.com is our um, site that has information on it. And then I'd also suggest um, the, um, going to the ARCSA, rain site, uh, ARCSA website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's now, how do you spell that, ARCSA? Uh, a, American Rainwater Catchment Systems Association, so ARCSA, okay. A-R-C-S-A. All right. Well, Pam, it was fun. I need our audience to know that Pam and I are only 45 minutes away. I'm in Grants Pass, Oregon, on the Rogue River here. Uh, and, in fact, Pam, do you ever go down on the boat trips? I haven't gone down on the boat trips in a long time. I've done some rafting, but I haven't done any of the boat trips. Yeah, but... we're, uh, our location is in the Eisman Stillwater section. Oh, okay. And yeah. we're the ones with the shooting fountains and the springs and oh my, and all. But, again, um, yeah. we are living in one of the most beautiful places in the world. Uh huh. And actually, Sharon, I just want to point out one thing, if I can, really fast. That even though we're within a half hour of each other, you get almost twice as much rain as I do. I know. <laughs> You're right next to that famous Mount Ashland Ski Resort, too. Yes, we are about uh, 11 miles or so. Yes, you are. Yeah. Very beautiful place, audience. It is. It's a yeah, oh, oh, and blessed. the Ashland Shakespearean famous Shakespearean plays. 
yes. uh, around the world. How old is the Shakespearean Theater there? Uh, we're having our 75th anniversary. Yeah. People from all over the world came for Shakespeare, Lithia Water, Mount Ashland, and the beauty of the Rogue River Valley. Which we hope to preserve by really using our resources wisely here. Well, Pam, thank you for your time, and I wish you well, and tell everyone I said hello. Thank you, Sharon. And you be well. You too. Bye-bye. Audience, all over the world there is an environmental plan, and we all influence each other. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the natural method of moisturizing your eye. Now stop and think. You've got skin protection. You've got uh, a toothbrush. You've got um, supplements to take, but you've never had a supplement for your eyes. And the surface of the eye is 99% water. If that water begins to have a depletion, dehydrate, you begin to lose your healthy eyesight. Every five seconds, someone is going blind. Macular degeneration by 2030 is going to be out of control. Thousands, over 35,000 people estimated to have macular degeneration. Let's stop and think. What do we need to do for our eyes? With just a mist? Nature's Tears Eye Mist. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Power of Water, Earth's Human Mission. Our life on this earth has a migrant of people forever moving on all parts of the earth. In other words, all over the earth, people move from one place to the other. And, and I've noticed, if you agree with me, that people often move toward water. It's either the ocean for their retirement, the water somewhere. There's more water for them. And, and stop and think about anybody you've ever known who went to retirement, they move closer to where there's more water or the weather, the environment, the climate. Today we have Dan Barklin, who is with us, who is the owner of a a retirement village in Grants Pass, Oregon. And he um, came, he's going to tell us a little bit about his perspective on life in the Philippines. 
But we're going to start out with Dan telling us about his interest in retirement planning for people who do want to migrate to different areas of the world to, to slow down and plan a retirement. Dan, are you with us? Yes, I am. Good, good morning there, Sharon. It's nice to talk with you. Um, Thank you. What, why did you choose to be involved with the t- retirement planning? Well, I had an aunt uh, that was um, very vibrant. She was over 100 years old, and she was uh, wanting to find a place to live, but uh, not a place where she would feel warehoused. And so uh, I thought about a, a plan where we could have individual homes and duplexes in a community where people could have their own garage, they could drive into their place, they could have uh, a community garden if they wanted to have it, and a nice environment right next to a community college, which uh, is Rogue Community College, and enjoy the life in the Pacific Northwest. And the um, the units are, are, some of them are furnished. Uh, we have... Um, now, back to um, you getting into the... I'm calling this show, this segment... Why people all over the world, Dan, migrate oh, mm-hmm. uh, at times of life to where they mm-hmm. go and why. Right. And you know, the show is The Power of Water mm-hmm. and Earth's Human Mission and the Health and Environmental Issues of, of What Causes Our Life to um, Take Its Path. It's dehydration from birth. And uh, do we drink enough? We better. It sounds like your aunt might. Uh, yeah. Now, is your aunt still, um, how old is your aunt today? Well, she she passed away a few years ago at 103. Ah. But uh, she, she was a really sharp person. Um, and uh, Now, where did she move from to come to the retirement place there? She moved from Wisconsin, from the state of Wisconsin. Ah. But we've had uh, other people, that, our community is called Horizon Village, mm-hmm. and it's probably the most unique retirement community in, in southern Oregon and maybe in the state. Uh, we had a phone call from a fellow who was sitting in a barber shop in Texas, and he just loved to fish. And he heard about the Rogue River, and so he um, uh, was looking at an article, and it described Horizon Village and um, as one of the... Well, now you're, you're hitting on uh, something that is fascinating. You know, we've had the United Nations on here. We've had Nobel Prize winner on here. We've had NASA on here. We recently had um, from Texas A&M an oceanographer who has been studying at Antarctica. And we were talking on here. Oh, and we had on here... Um, a gentleman who's with the United Nations last week, uh, which this week is World Water Week in, in Stockholm, Sweden. He came to us from Stockholm. But yes, we were uh, talking how people migrate mm-hmm. uh, to the water. And right. when Earth changes, all of us know that as there's a change, people move closer to more water or correct. water if they didn't have it where they're at. Mm-hmm. So you're saying to us that there's a gentleman sitting in Texas in that desert dry conditions uh, and climate changes all the time, that he wanted to come to where he could go fly fishing any day he chooses. That's correct, yeah. So he called us at uh, Horizon Village and wanted to have a, a custom home built for himself so he could have his boat. Now, have, there. You, uh, have you noticed that uh, now we're going to try to stick our subject to the uh, retirement planning of people? Have you noticed that people that are coming to the Southern Oregon uh, to Horizon Village Retirement Plan Village, 
that they're coming also for the climate, the environment, but also to be closer to the river, choices of things to do with the river? Oh, yes, certainly. Because the river is only 10 minutes from you. Yes, uh uh-huh. People uh, often, we we have uh, tours on the river. Okay. Uh, We go on the the jet boat tours, uh, organize those, and uh, people really enjoy um, the the river, the parks, and so forth here. So that it is a big draw. And many people uh, retire, and they, they come from a country living environment, maybe farming uh, in the Midwest and other places. I'd say probably the majority of the people that live there at one time lived in rural areas, and so they like the feeling of the rural environment. And, of course, the and from, from you, for, to, to go to the ocean, the Oregon Ocean, is how far? It's uh, it's only about eighty miles, so an hour and a half to hour and forty five minutes to go yes, to the ocean, uh-huh. right? And then you're going through the beautiful redwood forest That's uh, along the Smith River, which is so beautiful. That's right. That's and the right. Smith River is influenced um, uh, also, Dan, by a rainforest of the Kalmyopsis. So they've got the Rogue River. Uh, they've got the beautiful environment of the valleys and these mountains and the fluid of the water in the air. There, there's always a water of moisture in the air here yes. to breathe, but then they also have the Rogue River. They can get in. Um, you'd probably take them on tours to the Oregon Ocean, which is an right. hour and 45 minutes away, but it, uh, there's water almost everywhere they go. That's correct, and even though we have a relatively small population, only about 33,000 and the Grants Pass area, uh, Horizon Village is quite cosmopolitan. We have people there from Argentina, Germany, uh, Italy. Um, we've had people from Korea and other places uh, living living within the community. So it uh, makes it uh, very interesting. It's, it's like being well, this is what's happening to our planet. You know, uh, Dan, without the water, there would be no planet Earth. Where you were, this is the empowerment of what's the, how powerful water is. That's correct. In other parts of the world, Dan, they're having water wars. Their, their area has a turn to sand. There was no water planning way back in time. So people are leaving villages or dying in those villages because they didn't want to leave. Or there's a water war going on over what has happened. And then people move away to get away from the war that's being caused because of lack of water. Mm-hmm. And all the people don't realize that in Yemen and in Iraq and different countries, there's been a water war going on for generations. And they think it's only because people are um, uh, the Al Qaeda. No, no, it's it's really originated the problems and the conflicts because there was no water. There was no water planning. So those people then, Dan, move away to other locations to where they can find a place to live. And it's generally going to be closer to some water. And when people retire, even in the United States, where you could almost look at the United States like it's an island, too, because from border to border of the United States, except for Canada, there's an ocean. And then we have 50 states, I call them 50 countries, right in the middle of this island separated there so and then many states in our country have water although we have water wars going on i don't know if you know this but i just got a report this morning in the klamath basin there's been water war going on for a long time Mm -hmm. uh that's right here in oregon where there's a lot of water but there are water wars going on with discontentment of who's doing what with water 
water shortages. And we have water problems in our schools in the United States. Uh, the schools have a water crisis, very unhealthy water coming through those pipes. So our challenges, even here where there's a lot of water, we've got to start thinking more about water. Now, the retirement planning of our uh, wonderful, the people of our lives. And by the way, I need the audience to know, I'm 68. I'll be 69 years old in January. Okay. And um, my thinking of retirement probably will never be there only because if my health, God willing, is with me and I hopefully can study enough to keep healthy uh, if it's possible, that uh, I will never retire because I'm in research every day and that research will probably keep my brain going at least, I would say, Jen. That's true, yes. <laughs> but anyway, back to my life. Okay. You're yep. in the world of making it possible for people to want to move to where there's a choice of living. And they get to live in a, a separate housing. They have their garage. They have a community garden. They have water available. They can go close to the river. They can go close to the ocean. There's no end of choices. Now, when you, how, why did you want to talk to us today about life in the Philippines? Well, uh, did you learn more about uh, that type of living when you were in the Philippines? I did. Um, most people, when they travel, they they travel as mere uh, observers of situations. And I had some opportunities to participate um, in some water uh, resource programs while I was in the Philippines. I was there uh, about uh, one year ago, and they had a couple of the biggest typhoons in Philippine history there. They rained 126 inches in 72 hours and uh, pretty much displaced um, uh, millions of people, literally. And those Typhoon um, Ondoy and mm -hmm. Peiping hit kind of back. Oh, back. Wow, and it yeah. Was, and it, um, it was so huge uh, that it was, uh, it, in scope, it, it displaced uh, much more people than even Katrina did. And uh, so. Isn't it interesting why our, our news media. That's why I have this show, uh, Dan. The news media is not prioritizing. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's because it's selling advertising. I don't know, right. because we, we, we really get excited about news. Uh, but people don't realize that around our world, the first issue is water, but the power of water is an issue. And people's lives are being changed because of lack of water or too much water. And what are we doing about it? Uh, to assist them on water planning, uh, proactiveness of concerns of these, these, um, these, uh, these climate changes are happening forever. They've been going on forever, climate changing. That's right. That's right. It's so not new. I, but there I is I no did. proactiveness to prepare for the innocent of people who haven't got the means, and they have a government in each of these countries. And the government's job is for safety first. That's correct, uh, what uh, what I noticed there was a lot of people were using shallow wells or or even uh, using rivers for water, and so there was uh, kind of an uh, epidemic, a typhoid that was. Oh, there would have to be. Yeah. And so what I did was I had some experience in solar power, and mm -hmm. I teamed up with a, a fellow in the in uh, the Philippines. He's originally from the Netherlands. Called his name was uh, uh, Jorn Nielsen. And he was actually making solar panels from scratch. And well, so we're out of time. Um, I'm sorry. Um, that was 
that is a, a great story about you going in and helping people in these other con- this country, the Philippines, because they go through this. In fact, I think they're going to go through some more problems this year before the year's over with some more hurricanes, aren't they? I'm sure they will. It's a hurricane season now. They, yes. They have hurricanes periodically, so... I think I heard it, oh, yes. That's true. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today. And, Dan, you keep up the good work there and keep us informed about what you're learning about in the Philippines, too, about uh, some of the news, because the more news we have, we can let our world know that water is the only environmental crisis there is, and everything else has to come second, because if we don't solve the water issues and be more proactive, we'll be standing outside of Earth looking at Earth wishing we had of, right? <laughs> That's correct. (laughs) I hope I wasn't too complex on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. You have a very nice day. Tell everyone I had said hello. Thank you. And you be well. Okay, thank you. Mm, Bye-bye. Well, there's something about us to learn. And remember, the show is exciting. It can save a life. You join the bandwagon. You come and listen. Tell your friends and family to listen. And what it is, it's like a reminder. We're the reminder of being proactive about Earth has the water. Let's don't, let's just think about harvesting it. Let's think about where our, when we get to a certain time of life, when we want to slow down and kind of kick back, we know we're going to go towards some water. What if there wasn't enough water or the water wasn't healthy and it was polluted? You know 5,000 children die a day because of lack of water. Just think, 5,000 a day. And we're complaining about what? Let's be safe. Let's think about uh, what we can do to make a safer place for everyone. But the priority of of the environment has always got to be, number one, the water. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment as you try to embrace somebody else's. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint because that means there will be immortality. I want to thank you for listening and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.